Welcome to Let's Talk. Here we will focus on the hustle, the juggle, and everyday struggle of small business. About their everyday struggles, stresses, and ways they have been able to overcome the challenges of running their business. We welcome questions and comments, so please feel free to email us at admin at plemonscpa.com. We hope you enjoy, and above all, we hope it helps. Well, welcome to the Hustle, Juggle, and Struggle of Small Business. I am your hostess, Thalia Williams. Today we have in the studio Mr. Larry Hobbs talking about employee motivation and productivity. Welcome, Larry. Thank you very much. I appreciate the invitation. And uh, I've uh, prepared uh, some comments for this subject because it's uh, very confusing of uh, why are some people motivated and other people are not? And why do some people take pride in their work and other people are sloppy in their work? So it's a really big question in the workplace, not only in manufacturing, but in every business where we're seeking people that uh have motivation, and believe in high productivity. Undoubtedly, in this time of year, basically this season in our country and in the planet, you know, hiring is so critical. And a lot of people are still looking for work as well as employers are looking for employees. So tell me a little bit about what is motivation. Why is that important? The surprising thing is, and I, I wrote something down, I'll read it to you. Every day we observe people being less productive than they could be. We see waste, inferior products, poor service, people chatting about matters that have little to do with their jobs. And yet sometimes we see the opposite, people applying themselves with enthusiastic effort, high output, and no waste. So in the world of business, we ask ourselves, well, why do some people have this excitement about doing a good job and other people could care less? It's sort of like they're uh, waiting for payday and looking at their wristwatch. So what is motivation? Why is it so important for an individual? Because the scenario or the examples you use there are true across the spectrum. It doesn't matter what industry or business it is, if it's a service or a product. It, there are those who are just determined to do their best all the time. Then there's others who are, like you say, just biding time, waiting on that paycheck. Yes, it's particularly obvious when we, when we – when we invite a uh, contractor to come to our home and make a repair or we take our car in for service, you know, there's just a world of difference. It depends on the technician that you get to the result that you get. Mm -hmm. And it's just amazing that sometimes we're very unhappy and sometimes we're just elated and we write and say nice things about the technician. The, uh, the reason that this motivation and the resulting productivity is important is because of constantly rising costs. We know now that everything costs more, so we expect more. Uh, increasing competition, uh, more regulation, and these regulations require supervisors and managers uh, to support their employees 
Uh, last week we talked about discipline, and we know that uh, discipline is not a punishment. It's supposed to be a form of training. And so uh, people want to be treated with respect, and so we, we do that uh, in a way uh, to achieve organizational goals. So the big question is, in in business, can we really expect to find employees that will be on time, under budget, with high quality, and cheerful at the same time. Ooh, that's a big order right there. That's a tall order. Well, let's address some of those things. Talk about it. Chop it up for us a bit. Well, uh, the first thing I'd like to mention, of course, uh, the the relationship between motivation and productivity. So I'll start with the productivity. Uh, why is productivity important in the first place? Well, one thing, it, it, it raises us individually out of poverty. It provides a profit to owners, shareholders, and employees. It provides taxes for governments. It spreads the wealth throughout society. And, of course, managers must rely on their employees to get the work done. You know, an individual owner or manager only has so many hours in the day. And if your your business is of any size, you have to hire people and you have to get them to do the work. And so there's a relationship there that's very important. So productivity is important because our society needs it. In those countries, communist countries and socialistic countries, history and even current history shows that uh, when, when the government owns everything, the employee motivation goes down because they don't share in the profits. And whether they do a good job or a sloppy job, it doesn't matter. The government owns everything. The government redistributes it, and the people lose their motivation. So our form of government and democracy is that wonderful situation where the harder we work, the better we can do. And uh, the the higher productivity we have, uh, the results improve us as an individual. And, of course, as I mentioned, it, it uh, pays taxes and provides jobs and raises us out of poverty. Undoubtedly. Wow. So what type of work values have changed over the years? Because the baby boomers were a different mindset than the millennials are. So how have those work values changed over the years? Well, it it used to be, uh, uh, let's say, when uh, uh, my dad, your dad, our grandparents, and even before that, uh, there, there, a few years ago, the, they had strong loyalty to the employer. They had a very strong desire for money and status. Uh, they had a strong desire for promotion. They were always looking for opportunity. They were very uh, concerned about uh, job security and stability, and they had a strong identification with work roles rather than personal roles. And that has changed now. We, the, the most uh, populous segment of our workforce today are the millennials, and the millennials were born between 1980 and the year 2000. And so they're at that age now where uh, they're, uh, they're between 20 and, and uh, 50 years old, and uh, it's the most 
the largest portion of our workforce. So today, what's changed from the the uh, what I just told you a minute ago? Uh, there's less loyalty to the employer, less commitment to the organization. Uh, they expect the rewards to be geared to their accomplishments. They have a very high need for recognition based on their contribution. Uh, there's a decreasing concern for job security and stability. You know, when you have a, a good education or a good skill, you're, you're going to find a job. And it almost doesn't matter what city it's in or what state it's in, uh, you, you'll be okay. And these millennials know that, and of course they believe in a lot of education, and they take that with them. Uh, there's a decreasing concern for job security and stability. And they view leisure time as being just as important as work time. And that is to say that they want a 50-50 balance between their work life and their personal life. And they demand that. Uh, they have a high need for communication with management. It used to be uh, years and years ago, whatever management said, you didn't argue because you were loyal to the company and you, you liked the owner or you liked your manager or you were afraid of the owner or afraid of the manager. And there weren't as many regulations that protect employees like there are today. So there was not as much communication, certainly not good communication uh, going on within the organization. And, and then the millennials today, they have a need for personal growth activities. They're into volunteering. They're into hobbies. They're into, you know, mountain climbing and, and uh, leisure time. And they make enough money so that they can afford uh, these hobbies and leisure time, and they will absolutely demand a balance between work life and personal life. And a and, lot of them saw their parents only work, 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 and never had time for them because that's how they became latchkey kids sometimes, and that's how come they weren't able to have as much freedom as they felt they should have. So I can see them demanding. I have a, a daughter that falls in that age group, and she is truly 50-50. I want work and pleasure balanced as much as possible. And it's no offense to them. It's mm -hmm. just the way it is. It's, mm -hmm. uh, it's the era they grew up in. We pushed them into education, and they got it. That they did. And, and that's good Good for them, and, and uh, they are highly successful, so to speak. True enough. And those are the ones that almost started the gig economy because it seems like prior to that, baby boomers weren't looking for a second job. That second job was more or less a hobby that they did on the weekends when they had time to do it. Whereas the millennials and the ages after them are looking like, OK, well, like you said, there's no loyalty because I want to be able to have my cake and eat it, too. And that flexibility is what allows them to be in the driver's seat right now of the economy, so to speak, because think about it. There are more individuals that are starting their own businesses now than in the 1950s, in the 1940s. And that's a good thing because that does boost productivity in a lot of areas, but also it creates a challenge for the old school mentality of the owners who run these large corporations or businesses that don't have the mindset to go with the flow or to be able to change adaptability. So the motivators that motivated them to stay and do a job may not be the same ones that are used to motivate the current workforce that they currently have. 
Uh, that's correct. In the uh, the previous generations, the older generations, uh, like like our grandparents, uh, they're called traditionalists. And then the people born between 1946 and 1964, those are the baby boomers. And uh, we read a lot during the last 50 years about the baby boomers. And uh, they were a product of their circumstances. And they, they learned to be very frugal because of the Great Depression from their parents. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the, the class of people that we're in, the millennials, for instance, uh, help define motivation and productivity today. So let's talk a little bit about what are a few of the approaches for motivation. How can you motivate this generation or this labor force? You talked about that 50-50 balance. Is that one of the key motivators to keeping them happy or keeping them productive? Yes, well, I've done some research on this, and let me uh, let me share with you. Uh, first of all, the most common method that that is tried in the workplace is pay. Mm-hmm. But I'm here to tell you, based on a lot of research, not mine, but but management theorists and and surveys for the last many many years. Uh, going really back to the 1950s, uh, has proven that pay is not a motivator. And the easy way to prove that is if we wanted to increase productivity by 10%, we would just give a 10% raise. Mm. But what happens when you, you call someone in and they get their performance evaluation and then, and then you tell them, oh, by the way, you're getting a 10% raise? Well, first of all, they're a little bit happy, but they probably in the back of their mind feel like, why 10%? Why not a little more? Mm-hmm. Uh, then they uh, start thinking about, well, that's 10% more money. How can I spend that money? Mm-hmm. And after a couple of weeks, that enthusiasm from the pay raise wears off and we're right back where we are. Otherwise, we could we could increase productivity by 50% by giving people – 50% raises. Mm. It is not a motivator. Mm. And uh, I'll tell you a little bit more about that. Uh, and in fact, pay raises sometimes are resented. Then there's a the scientific management that came back in the 1920s. Uh, scientific management was a, a method of analyzing. Let's say that you, you have a pile of coal and you need to move that coal uh, from the railroad car into the factory. So they would hire laborers and uh, they would – they would these scientists, they would use a stopwatch and a measuring tape and they would try to figure out uh, how big should the shovel be. Should it be a square shovel or should it be a round shovel? Uh, should it be a long handle or a short handle? And they, they scientifically analyzed every job in the workplace and they tried to get the machine and the person to match that machine as being idealistic. And that was all a method of increasing productivity. Sounds and like industrial engineering. It was. And it really started. Uh, there were people uh, like Frederick Taylor uh, back in the day, uh, really 100 years ago. And he started that. It's called the Scientific management movement. And uh, it did have some effects. And even today, we, we still analyze like crazy. We analyze even more with computers than we did before we had computers. But that was one method. People uh, tried to, to increase productivity. Let's, let's make the equipment 
and the tools and machinery and the processes uh, as he as efficient as possible. And then uh, another way of trying to, another approach to improve is the selection. Let's select people that have the characteristics of a successful person that's already doing that job. And I'll just give you an absurd example that I learned many years ago. Uh, A moving company that moves furniture, they will not hire a tall person. They only hire short, squatty men because they, the short, squatty man moving the furniture does not hurt his back. Wow. The tall man will hurt his back trying to lift furniture. You will see across the industry, they're looking for a certain type of person to be a furniture mover. Wow. And it's the short, squatty, stout, strong, hefty individual not a lanky individual, a little bit on the thin side. And so selection, so what do we do in selection? We check people's backgrounds. We check their previous jobs to see how successful they were. We use behavioral interviewing. Behavioral interviewing is where we we ask the applicant, tell me about a time that you were successful on the job or tell me about a time you disagreed with your boss What did you do about that? And that's trying to predict future behavior by measuring past behavior. Mm. And that's called behavioral interviewing. And so selection of employees is one way of doing that. And you can even give people written tests to find out how good are they at math, uh, how likely are they to be successful in sales, are they technical, uh, it goes back to the typing test uh, years ago that they used to give. Uh, I don't know if you remember those days. Uh, I certainly do uh, because I was in college back in the 60s. And if you were looking for a typing job, sit down. Here's a piece of paper. Uh, show me how you can type. And and that's uh, trying to improve productivity through selection. And the challenge always is even with the test be the the written test, which is more accurate, because if you can't add one plus three, we can't have you as an accountant or financial person, nor can we have someone who doesn't know how to spell be a, a writer for our newsletter. So I can understand that. But the behavioral and personality tests sometimes can be misleading because they want to give you the answer they feel is what you're looking for versus what they would really do because they want the job. So how do we keep those individuals from becoming a part of our team? But if we do get one, how do we motivate them? Because once they're in the door, sometimes their motivation, it starts out, yes, we're going to do this. I'm going to be able to do that. I'll help you, whatever. Is that where the term came in, other duties as needed to help motivate them or allow some flexibility in the creativity or the ability to offer different types of work? Oh, that's a good question. But uh, one thing you said I want to pick up on, and that is these personality characteristic tests. And they are 92% accurate. Mm. And uh, the way they create, and I've, I've used many of them as an HR manager, tested many people. There are different brands you can use. But these tests are 92% accurate. They're very good predictors because what they do is is they survey a large group, thousands of very successful people in a certain job, 
and they look at all of their characteristics, all of their personality, all of their quirks, all of their habits. And out of those, they can predict that if you have a percentage of those habits, quirks, education, uh, skills, uh, uh, the way you treat other people, uh, they can predict that you will be successful in this job because you have the characteristics and traits of other people that are successful in the job. And those those personality tests are 92% accurate. Uh, and they only cost uh, $20 to $35 a test. So if you really want to improve the way you're hiring people, uh, use the written test. And by the way, you cannot cheat on those tests because built into those tests are – trick questions that if you answer the wrong way, not the way you feel, but the way you think that they want you to answer, you're busted. Continuing along, though, there's still uh, some other approaches as we're we're trying to find uh, motivated people that in turn leads to high productivity. Uh, worker training. Worker training is one of those things. We uh, There's two ways to get a productive employee. You can pirate them, that, that stealing employees, from other employers. And you can pay a premium and you can raid your competition and you can find people that are already doing that type of work and they're highly successful and you basically steal them and they, they hit the ground running. They have a track record. They're very successful and they'll be successful for you. But that's a little more expensive and also a little more difficult. So what most employers do is they hire someone that has a pleasant personality and the necessary background, and they train them in either on-the-job training or put them with a mentor or or other ways of training, classroom training, skills training, uh, send them out to vocational training. So you can either hire a person at a premium and get a successful person, or you can train them and form them and mold them to do what you want them to do. Uh, either way, costs about the same amount of money. One, you get a quicker result. So worker training is a sound basis for productivity. Now, another approach to motivation is good supervision. It's been said that when people quit a job, they're really quitting their supervisor. Mm. because what they think of their supervisor is what they think of the company. Mm. Because the first-line supervisor, your immediate supervisor, manager, department head, director, whatever the title is, uh, is what you think because they're the ones who give you your directions and give you the news. And so if we could improve management supervision, perhaps we could improve longevity on the job more training, more expertise, more satisfaction. So that's another theory or approach is supervision. If we can increase the style, improve the style of uh, supervision, then probably we can improve production. But I haven't even gotten to the most common method of motivation, and that's the old fear. <laughs> Like we talked last week in discipline, uh, it's just the oldest technique known to man. You will do 
what I tell you to do because I'm the man, I'm the woman, I'm the boss, I'm the owner, I'm the director, I have a better title than you, I make more money than you, you just do what I say or there will be consequences. And they put a lot of pressure on people and I'm not really convinced that that's a good way to motivate people. They might shake their head yes and say, okay, boss, and then as soon as you're out of the room, they're right back to the same speed the same productivity, the same quality. And and then there's another technique that I have to mention, and that's uh that's when you sell you, you send people to motivation training. Mm. And uh they get uh they hire people f- in front of the audience that says, okay, we're excited, rah, 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 we're going to do this and that and that, and aren't we all excited? And you're all excited in the meeting. As soon as you leave the meeting and you get back to your job and back to reality, that enthusiasm goes away because, yes, you were excited for a little while, and and that's called the rah, rah approach. Mm. And of course, all of this in summation, uh, the best approach is really a participatory management. That is, uh, build a team, use human relations, give people uh, as much as you can what they want, be uh, friendly, be communicative to them, and that would be the participatory style of management and communication. And that's very difficult to achieve because uh, either the employer or the employee or the supervisor usually has some hang-ups that get in the way of that. So there are many different approaches, but the real main thrust is how can we get more production out of these people? So, Chris, let's talk about some crucial conversations a business owner should have. Crucial conversations is a a term that we always use to describe a couple different areas, but primarily succession planning. We had an instance the other day where we had a business owner that wanted to transition their business to their another family member down the line. So legacy planning, for instance. But it was interesting because that business owner had actually paid for their kids to go to college and everything. And the kid didn't want to come back and run it. So we see that more and more frequently these days. So how do we have those conversations with family members or with a spouse on what we want to do with this business? Is it going to be able to provide what we need it to provide? Because most business owners have invested the majority of their assets in this business. It is their baby. Well, what happens whenever it's time to let that baby go? One way or another, whether it's to go to another family member, an unrelated third party, or if it's going to be time to close up shop or just sell it off. What do we do? How do we do it? What are the steps? When are we supposed to start the steps? Most of the time we find that business owners have not really considered this process at all. So, Chris, how can we get a hold of you for more information? Well, our main office is in San Antonio off of 281 and Bitters. We also have a website, pontemfinancial.com, P-O-N-T-E-M financial.com. And we're also on LinkedIn, Facebook. And of course, we have a phone, 210-625-4845 to reach out to a member of my team or myself. Thank you, Chris. Chris Hall is a financial advisor and partner with Pontum Financial in San Antonio, Texas. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor. Member FINRA slash SIPC. You know, we talked about in the beginning of this segment 
um, how there are some people who have motivation. They're willing to go above and beyond or they're willing to put forth their best effort all the time. Then you have others who are just watching the clock. Is there some intrinsic reward that those who do well consistently versus the ones who do not? Let's talk a little bit about intrinsic reward. What is it? Uh, Many years ago, a book came out called How to Win Friends and Influence People. Mm. And it's still a popular book, and you can still go to uh, seminars on this subject. But I heard an ad on the radio for – for success, these success seminars. And it told the story of a little old man who worked in a door factory. And the highest price doors uh, that this company made were made out of brass, pure brass. And when the door comes out of the furnace after it's been cast, it's pitch black. Because of the fire, it's it's got it's charred. So they take the door to the little old man, and his job is to polish the door. Mm. And so he begins meticulously with his his tools and his hands and the uh, the uh, the other equipment that they give him, and he begins rubbing and polishing the door. And and as soon as that that black comes off, pretty soon you see this beautiful brass. And eventually uh, he gets all of the soot off of the door. And someone asked the old man one time, how do you know when the door is finished? He said, actually, the door is never finished. When it gets to a certain point, they just come and take the door away and bring me another one. Mm. He had pride. Mm-hmm. In his work, you you see this image of the man trying to polish the door beyond expectations, and uh, that's a, a truly motivated person. He enjoyed what he was doing. Uh, he was looking for seeking perfection. Uh, he wasn't worried about his paycheck and the time clock and and uh, how long is my lunch period. None of that comes into it. Uh, it's just that. Uh, I I want this door to leave the factory as beautiful as it can possibly be. And so he was a motivated individual. Uh, The intrinsic rewards are rewards that come from the job itself, not things like pay. The intrinsic rewards, and these are the true motivators of people, are achievement. You feel an inward satisfaction. Because you've done a good job and you're proud of it. Uh, You always like recognition. There are programs of recognition from getting a five-year pin to getting a bonus uh, to having a party to different rewards that companies offer you. Uh, in in recognition, and people like that. Uh, The work itself, if you hate the work you do, you really need to find another vocation. Agreed. Uh, yeah, you, you just don't like this anymore. 
it's not just burnout. Burnout is after you've done it a long time and now you're seeking something different. Uh, but people have to be satisfied with the work they do, the situation they're in and the, the things that come at them every day. They have to enjoy that challenge. And so one of the intrinsic rewards is the work itself. Uh, responsibility, you have to be responsible. Uh, there, there are no jobs that I know of where you don't have to be accountable and responsible and achieve some sort of goals, and and uh, uh, and those have to be measurable. If, and, yeah, because uh, if not, it, you it, don't have a job. Dude. Right, There's it's no not reason. just dollars, but right. it, it could be uh, how many pieces were produced, or how much scrap was produced, or how many times uh, were the uh, products rejected and had to be sent back to re- be be redone. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, the in the uh, automotive industry. Uh, like a, a garage, a car dealership where they repair your job, mm-hmm. uh, they pay those workers what's called a book rate. Mm-hmm. And uh, they pay them, say, an hour and a half to, to uh, repair a certain certain job. And if they do that job in 20 minutes, they get paid an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. If it takes them three hours, they, they get, get paid an hour, an hour and, and a half. half. Yeah. But here's the, here's the trick to that. Each of those technicians guarantees their work. Mm. If that work has to come back because they didn't do a satisfactory job, they fix it for free. Mm. They're still losing their time. They just don't get paid for it. That's right because they were paid for the amount of time that's been calculated to do a successful job, and if they fail to do that, they're going to do it again, and they're going to do it on their own time. And and that's a legal uh, labor wage concept. Mm. So we've talked about intrinsic value. So would pay be an extrinsic value? What's that focused on? Yeah, the extrinsic things are what one theorist called hygiene factors. Mm. Hygiene factors are, are – and we all know what hygiene is, uh, you know, taking a shower, for instance, brushing your teeth, combing your hair. You do those over and over and over, but doing them uh, – taking two showers doesn't make you any cleaner than taking one shower. Taking five showers a day wouldn't make you feel any better. <laughs> and so – and yet some companies give people these extrinsic rewards – and it's not a motivator. Uh, company policy and administration is extrinsic. It's not related to the job. It's outside of the job. Uh, supervision, uh, relationships with the supervision, uh, working conditions are are not uh, intrinsic values. And, you know, I see people out there on the side of the highway cutting the grass, hot summer, dusty Dirty, cold winter, windy, but they knew going in what the working conditions are and they don't mind. They accepted the working conditions. Working conditions are not a motivator and not a demotivator. They're mm. just part of the job. And you would think that no one would want a job uh, of uh, working in, an, in, a, in a hole or a pipe that's a sewer line. 
lot of people take those jobs. It pays pretty good, and they know the conditions, and it doesn't bother them. Mm. So we have to look outside of, uh, of the jobs themselves to find motivation. Uh, compensation, as I said earlier, is, is not a true motivator. Because when you get a pay raise, you really don't have in, increased or improved productivity. Uh, relationships with peers, uh, how do you get along with other people? It's not really related to the job, but it's related to your motivation, your status, your job security. These are extrinsic rewards that are not related to the job and are not motivators. We're looking at how the ability of a supervisor can find the intrinsic and extrinsic to make the individual more productive. The challenge obviously is understanding the mindset of that individual that you've hired. I mean, you have a job as a receptionist or as someone who faces the public. You know, you have to have a personality, obviously. You can't be rude and, you know, you can't wear your emotions on your sleeve and on your face every time. Hello, what can I do you for? Why are you here? No, you're, you're supposed to be pleasant. But how do you motivate someone who may be going through a challenging time in their lives? And we've talked about in previous episodes about how that supervisor should not get involved in that personal in that person's personal life. It's supposed to be, okay, the policy is you're supposed to smile, greet, blah, 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 this particular way. So how does a supervisor tie in? intrinsic and extrinsic to make it beneficial for the firm or the company? Well, I think that uh, first they would be very selective. Mm -hmm. uh, I often use an example, uh, the, the customer service department at Walmart. Mm -hmm. Everybody that's in that line is bringing back a product because it didn't work or they found it cheaper somewhere else or they weren't happy with their purchase, or they purchased the wrong thing. And yet, those people that work in the customer service at, at any major store, uh, they're selected because they don't get angry, they don't get upset. When you come up there and say, I'm, I'm really upset about this, they say, well, I'll be glad to help you. Mm -hmm. And they're very calming. And, and they were hired because of their smile. And because of their personality and their, they were selected. So one thing for the receptionist is, is to have some, uh, hire someone that has a – through selectivity uh, that has a natural smile and then through training. You train them how to answer the phone and how to dress and how to address issues and how to be courteous. And, of course, some people are more courteous than others. There's actually a, a major study by a guy named Frederick Herzberg many, many years ago, and I don't expect people to, to learn his name or his theory, but he came up with this, this, this ridiculous thing. He, he called the, the extrinsic things that we consider motivators, he called them hygiene factors. Mm -hmm. And like I mentioned, taking a shower. And there's something interesting about the hygiene factors Giving people more does not motivate them. But if you ever take it away, it demot demotivates them. Now, mm. let me give you an example. And, and this is pretty absurd, but uh, you'll, you'll get the point. Let's say you work for a company with 10 employees. And you get along and everybody works together and they've all been there a while. So the boss comes along one day and he says, you know, I'm gonna, I've got some, some profit here. And what I'm going to do – 
to make all of you feel more important and to motivate you is I'm going to build individual private restrooms for all 10 of you. They're going to have brass handles and mirrors and lights, and it's going to have your name on the door. So when you need to go to the restroom or change clothes or wash your hands, uh, whatever you do in the restroom, it'll be your own private restroom instead of that the way we have it now. So he spends the money, and everybody has a private restroom. Now, Thalia, how much is that going to improve productivity? Not very. I mean, he's showing them respect. He's spending money on them. He's giving them something, but it's not job-related. So he's not going to get – they're going to say, wow, that's that's pretty corny, but I'll take it and I feel better. And I'll when I go home, I'll talk about it. But after a while, it's just like, okay, I have a private restroom. But here's, here's uh, Frederick Herzberg's hygiene theory. If you ever take it away, you're going to lose motivation and productivity. So this company tools along for a year, and the boss finally figures out, you know, productivity didn't go up a bit, so I'm going to get even with these people. We're going to do away with the private restrooms because I did have to hire an extra janitor, and it does take more supplies and blah, 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 more water and on and on, and he figures out economically he didn't gain anything. So one day he announces, we're we're tearing all that out and we're going to go back to the other restroom. What's going to happen to motivation and productivity with those people when you take something away that they got used to? Oh, man, they're not going to be happy. It's like I can't go to my own private restroom. I got to use the common one again? Right. So that's his theory Mm -hmm. that giving people – things that have intrinsic value does improve outlook, motivation, productivity. But giving people things that are extrinsic in value does not improve productivity. And if you ever take it away, it's sort of like when you give someone a promotion, I mean a demotion. Mm. When you cut their pay or you change them from full-time to Mm part-time, you lose motivation. Unless I would say that person requested it, but then they had a reason for it. And then if you're complying with them because it makes business sense, you may have motivated them to do more because they don't have the stressors or whatever the rationale was to go from full-time to part-time. It it is a known fact. A a lot of people don't realize that, uh, and and some of the do-gooders, I call them, the uh, the social workers. Uh, they say, well, we have, we have millions of people that only, only have a part-time job. They want that part-time job. They have some reason, school, pregnancy, a sick parent, uh, someone in the family, uh, a second job, and, and they want that part-time job. It's not that there, we have millions of people who are, who are part-timers because they want to be full-time. And most people have never heard anyone say that before, so I'll say it. Mm -hmm. Research shows that that a lot of people only want part-time. Maybe they're retired. They want to supplement their income, but they don't want to work 40 hours a week. Because they did that. That's why they retired. Sure. (laughs) Uh, I know a lot of retired school teachers that substitute, Mm -hmm. but not five days a week. No, they'll take a day or two, they'll make a couple of hundred bucks, and they're happy. Mm -hmm. They want to work Mm part-time. 
Undoubtedly. And I think that's good because if given the opportunity to do so, they would be able to be more motivated because now it's like, okay, I have that quote unquote work life balance. Let's talk a little bit about why people keep their jobs. What's this thing I've heard of called the golden handcuffs? It's interesting that uh, after you've been on a job, uh, one of the ways that we reward seniority is we give people pay raises Mm -hmm. over a period of time, and we give them uh, more time off, vacation, sick leave. We we give them uh, maybe their birthday off or personal days, and there's a long list of things that people get – when they're a senior employee. I don't mean a senior in age, but I mean when they have seniority over other people. Longevity on the job. Longevity. And they've been there 15, 20, 25 years. And uh, I made a list of some of the things, and these are called the golden handcuffs. And, And what that really means, it's making fun of people who stay on the job even though they dislike it and even though they're not happy. But think about it. They have insurance. And think about all the different insurances you can get at work, health insurance, dental, vision, accidental death and dismemberment, disability, life insurance. They offer wellness programs. Companies pay for it. Uh, You can get cancer insurance. You can get free flu shots. You can get legal insurance, all of these types of things, security meaning uh, that I'll, I'll have an income to continue my lifestyle, 401k programs, pension programs, stock options and stock purchases, uh, shift pay. If you work on the night shift or the weekend shift, you get an extra 50 cents an hour. Uh, Time away from work, another benefit. These are extrinsic values. They're not intrinsic. They're not motivators, but people stay because they're hooked on it, and that's why they're called the golden handcuffs. Uh, You can get vacation, sick leave, paid time off, uh, paid holidays, funeral leave, voting leave, military leave, and even breaks. The U.S. Department of Labor says that any break of 20 minutes or less must be paid. Mm-hmm. So there you are sitting at work, getting paid, drinking coffee. Mm-hmm. So these are things. And then, and then some companies, as a way of being competitive, they go way beyond the, the traditional benefits. Uh, they might offer tuition reimbursement college programs, uh, referral. If you refer a good employee to us, we'll give you, the employee, $500. Uh, hiring bonuses, child care, gift matching, profit sharing, bonuses, free beverages at work. And in a lot of the companies now, there's free cafeterias. You get free food and beverages at work. Employee discounts, computer purchase programs, Uh, Time off to volunteer, that's very common in San Antonio. They give each employee 40 hours Mm -hmm. a year to build a house or paint or to clean up a park and things like that, community service. Uh, They offer credit unions and fitness centers right at work. So these are called the golden handcuffs, and they're not motivators. They don't lead to higher productivity, but they do lead to seniority. Mm, that is true. Though for some of those, those would be motivators for me, but I can understand why they would be called golden handcuffs because they would keep me tied to the company and my golden parachute that I 
could depend on would no longer be there if I decided to walk away and become an entrepreneur or to change jobs. You know, I may hate it, like you said, or I just can't stand working there, but the golden handcuffs are keeping me tied there. That's right. Many, many people would like to even make a mid-career change. I always wanted to be a nurse, and yet here I am, a bookkeeper. Mm. But I really, I just, my life goal is to be a nurse, but they're afraid mm-hmm. to make that switch. I think they would be more motivated if they were able to become a nurse or, or whatever they really wanted to do. Mm-hmm. But uh, people get bogged down in these golden handcuffs. Undoubtedly. Wow. What a way to end the session. So, Larry, give us a way that we can contact you if we want more information or or your consulting services, how can we reach you? Uh, well, my uh, specialty is anything regarding human resource management. I write a lot of employee handbooks for small employers that, that don't have HR departments. You can contact me. Uh, my website is is simply Management Resolve. Two words combined into one, managementresolve.com. My phone number is in San Antonio, Texas, 210-316-4206. Anyone can call me and ask me an HR question. Telephone consultation is always free. I just love to share knowledge. And since I've been in this industry, human resource management, uh, since 1972, I have quite a bit of knowledge. Wow. Well, Larry, we thank you so much. We want you all to have a great rest of your day. Thank you, Larry. Bye-bye now. For more information about any of our guests, or if you have questions and comments, please email us at admin at com. And don't forget to check out our website, plemonscpa.com, for upcoming events and workshops in San Antonio. David B. Plemons CPA, Inc. is providing this podcast as a public service, but it is neither a legal interpretation nor a statement of David B. Plemons CPA, Inc. policy. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by David B. Plemons CPA, Inc. The views expressed by guests are their own, and their appearance on the Hustle, Juggle, and Struggle of Small Business podcast does not imply an endorsement of them or their concepts or any entity they represent. Views and opinions expressed by David B. Plemons, CPA Inc. employees are those of the employees and do not necessarily reflect the views of David B. Plemons, CPA Inc. or any of its officials. You should always consult your own investment advisors, attorneys, and accountants before making any decisions concerning your financial matters. If you have any questions about this disclaimer, please contact our office. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.